Good morning. Welcome to Money for Nothing. I'm Brian Curtis. Where's our money? That's the cry of Bitcoin investors to the Japan-based Mt. Gox exchange. And so we'll look at that. Also in the news, the U.S. government says obesity in young children plunges 43% over the past decade. China property stocks fall to an eight-year low. Tesla announces some plans that might do more for the power industry than the electric car. And U.S. economic data disappoint again. So those stories coming up. But first, some of the sounds of money trickling through the markets. How can we help people understand that they can hold their own money? How can we build decentralized exchanges? How can we build more auditable exchanges? I think these things have technical solutions, but ultimately the best solution is the one that Bitcoin makes possible inherently, which is don't hold large sums of money with third parties. So one of the problems there about holding your money with that Mt. Gox exchange, it has disappeared for the time being, and people kind of crazy now about what happened to their money. And that's Mike Hearn that we heard there from the Bitcoin Foundation. And if investing is in Bitcoin is a little too rich for your blood, there's the more traditional approach. I think it's a mistake to say, well, Europe has some economic problems, and therefore we should ignore it. The truth is that prices are very cheap here relative to the United States. That is David Rubenstein from Carlisle, and he's quite positive about Europe and also uh, the emerging markets. We'll get some more comments from him uh, in a few short minutes. In our featured segments this morning, we will peek at the Hong Kong budget coming up later this morning. Macau's booming casinos are making another bet. Why not pocket the billions of dollars in annual commissions paid to what is being called the junket operators? These are the tour organizers who arrange and extend credit to the big spenders from the main. Richard Huang from CLSA will be along to join us for that discussion. Martin Henneke from the Henley Group will also be on the program for some market uh, commentary. And we'll take a special look at corporate social responsibility. We'll be joined by Philip Yu, General Manager at the Grand Hyatt right here in Hong Kong. First, uh, let's take a look at Asian markets, how they're trending now. Looks like a negative uh, day today. The Nikkei down 148 points at 14,903. Australia is lower as well, but just a scant uh, couple of points. And the Kospi in Seoul also one point down. Gold traded higher, $1,343 an ounce. So quite a trend for gold. And uh, Martin Henneke has long been positive on gold. We'll get to Martin in a minute. Uh, the dollar is trading at 102.15 Japanese yen. The euro, $1.37 U.S. And the pound is now at 12 Hong Kong dollars and 94 cents. So a few words on Wall Street before we get to our August guests. The S&P 500 uh, failed to break a record for a second day. Data showed slower growth in home prices and a drop in consumer confidence. There were some positive stories. Macy's and Home Depot, for instance, up 4% on higher than expected uh, earnings. And Tesla Motors was up 14% as Morgan Stanley more than doubled its projected price for the stock. In the end, the S&P 500 down 0.1%. To 1845, the Dow down 27 points at 16,179. So we played some comments before about David Rubenstein. More now on how he likes Europe. Europe is the biggest economy in the world. The United States is the biggest country with the biggest GDP, uh, but Europe, the EU actually has a bigger GDP than the United States. So it's got 500 million people and a GDP of about $17 trillion. So I think it's a mistake to say, well, Europe has some economic problems, and therefore we should ignore it. The truth is that prices are very cheap here relative to the United States. Assets are trading at anywhere from 5 to 20 percent below 
when EBITDA multiple is comparable assets to the United States, comparable to, to, to Europe. So it's much cheaper here. And Mr. Rubenstein says a lot of firms have backed off in Europe, leaving some good opportunities. There's less competition than there used to be. Many of the large American firms used to be here before the Great Recession. Some of them have pulled back. And some of the European firms are not quite as large or as well capitalized as they were before. So prices are cheaper. There's less competition. And I think growth is finally coming back. Europe will be positive this year in growth. It won't be negative. So for a lot of these reasons, we found Europe to be more attractive than other parts in the world in the last year or so. In fact, we've done nine deals in the last 12 months in Europe. So that's David Rubenstein from Carlisle. The FTSE 100 was down 35 points overnight at 68.30 and not much of a change for the other major exchanges. I mentioned uh, that home prices had climbed at a slower pace in the year through December. The S&P Case-Shiller Index of Property Values in the top 20 cities was up 13.4% from December of 2012 after increasing 13.7%. So while you may see that as a slight negative, that's still pretty healthy growth in home prices. Meantime, a conference board report showed that uh, consumer confidence was a little down, down to 78.1 in February from 79.4 the prior month. More now from Chris Rupke at Bank of Japan Mitsubishi. Consumer spirits are hanging in there, which makes one wonder if it is the asset side of the consumer's balance sheet. Stock prices, home valuations continue to rise. And he says the slight drop is not really something that you should worry about. The data for February fell to 78.1, falling from a downward revised January, 79.4, was 80.7. The 70 level of confidence is a line in the sand of sorts. It was difficult for confidence to rise and hold above 70 for all of 2012, but it crossed this threshold last May coming down for only a couple months to 72 during the federal government shutdown last October. So today for the consumer, it is steady as she goes. So he interprets the numbers as as positive, even though they trickled a little bit lower. And so let's get some commentary now from Martin Henneke, chief economist at the Henley Group. Martin, good morning. Good morning. And thanks for coming into the studio. I should mention also the yield on the 10-year Treasury was down. Uh, it's now down about 2.7%, so dropping four basis points. It's funny that uh, the bond market and the stock market are telling slightly different stories. The bond market, rather conservative in the U.S., uh, people buying Treasuries yields dropping a little bit, and yet stock prices are very close to all-time highs. Are you still positive on U.S. stocks? Well, firstly, I would say, you know, the traditional relationship of bonds doing well when stocks don't and the other way around, I think that may that may get unglued going forwards because interest rates are just at record lows uh, right now. And if inflation picks up and interest rates possibly pick up at the same time, bonds may not work that well going forward. So regardless of what the equity market does, we are not really very positive on bonds, particularly not long-term ones. You, you expect you, you yeah. expect interest rates uh, to to go higher. Where would you see the ten year yield uh, say in another six months? Well, you know it's it's a very tricky thing to say because if if we pass the three percent mark, a lot of analysts are saying they could actually lose control after that, and then you know the yield could surge and they could move to potential national bankruptcy in the United States. So that that doesn't look very healthy there. And but therefore, it's also very unclear what the Federal Reserve will do. They might not taper as much, or they might turn around and and start increasing taper again to avoid that from happening, and thereby keep artificially low the interest rates for the time being. So I'm not hundred percent sure 
if rates will really increase because uh, potentially they could limit less without a limit by those things. So I'm saying either inflation will rise a lot or interest rates, and therefore it doesn't, you know, it's not a good investment to be in long-term fixed interest. It would appear difficult to see yields shooting higher now because most of the economic uh, reports have been trending towards the weaker side in the U.S. And that's probably why the bond market is reflecting that. People yeah. are a little nervous about uh, things, so they're buying treasuries. And yes, the that's yield, because it's a perceived safe haven, but exactly that might change. Well, you see Greece yes, okay. being a very weak economy, so the yields actually rise because people think they are so weak. So that, that exactly this point may that's, change going forward. That's kind of another discussion, the solvency, the, you know, the possibility that the U.S. government wouldn't be solvent. So let's set that aside. Do you see growth getting better in the United States, or do you see it weaker? Well, we are not very optimistic about the economic situation in the U.S., nor in Europe. So I would rather say it's on the weaker side. Having said that, um, because they don't want to go into this solvency problem issue, they may just continue to print money. Uh, and that's the key question, because the question comes back to what will the market do, right? That's what everybody wants to know. What will the equity market do? And if they continue printing, well, equities are more inflation-proof than bonds and cash. So equities may not necessarily drop. And that, that's something we could see on a global basis, which is why we do like inflation-proof assets, because we think as the sovereign debt issue gets worse, they don't want the default to happen, as you say. And I also think it's not really that likely that the U.S. will actually default. But as the yields rise, they may need to print. So I gotta inflation put a, is the big story. Martin, i got to put a governor on you. You go so fast. I mean, you know, pay heed to the poor <laughs> listener trying to follow along. Uh, so let me just ask you this. If you, if you are not optimistic about growth in Europe and the United States, you certainly must not be very optimistic about emerging markets. And for us out here in Hong Kong and China, because we feed a lot on growth in those gigantic economies. Well, firstly, growth and asset markets are not necessarily the same thing, okay? You have seen in China the last five years very sound economic growth, yet the equity market dropped 65%. How do, you, how do you explain that? So, you know, don't mix up those things. And that's also why I make it a bit complicated to say it depends a lot on inflation. I think if you're Well, don't forget, at, okay, don't forget, some people listening to this program are geared to economic growth. They don't care that much about the market. Small business, they're trying to look at conditions of business out of okay. the next 12 so, months and everything. So we We've got to speak to them. And then okay. we also speak to the market people. I completely agree with you yeah. that markets and economies are out of sync. Let so me what? make three simple points then. One, I think the global economic risks are vastly underestimated, particularly in Europe and the US. There might be another crisis coming. Therefore, number one, try not to be very leveraged. Try to reduce leverage. Don't be overly mortgaged. Try actually to be debt free, ideally. Secondly, have exposure to precious metals. As you just mentioned, they look quite good. Uh, Bitcoin competition seems to be waning a little bit. And, and apart from the risks with the exchanges on Bitcoin, there's also actually 100 other digital currencies, many of which have come up over the last few months. It's a big competition for Bitcoin there, and they, they might dilute each other's values. Gold, however, is unique, uh-huh. and we think there may be much further rebound. So that's the second thing. The third thing, um, some market exposure may be warranted. Not all countries economies are looking bad. Some markets are also very reasonably priced and some equity exposure can protect against inflation risk, just as gold does. You still like the Russian gas producers. I can tell where you're going. <laughs> well, and, and Chinese companies, you know, Chinese markets look quite reasonable, you know, as we have just heard. Okay. Let's get back to gold for a minute because it has had an amazing bounce. Okay. Since the beginning of the year, we've gone from about 1180 to 1343 now. Do you think that this trouble with Bitcoin really strengthens the bid for gold? 
That's very possible. Um, I would think so. The main story may just be the very strong Asian buying. You know, China has again uh, imported a record amount of gold last year. And, and one big story missed is that, you know, gold is flowing massively from the West to East. I've just have got some figures in front of me and Switzerland actually imported five billion US dollar of gold in January. And they recast those bars, which come from Europe, mostly through London, 400 ounce bars. They recast them into kilo bars to send to Asia. 80% of this gold was re-exported to Asia. And the Asians, they just buy and hold for the long term. And that gold may not be available again to the market anytime soon. So as the West is being drained of gold, eventually the price is going to rebound very significantly in our view. Okay. I I generally like to have a Bloody Mary before talking to you because you make me nervous um, all the time. But uh, you do have some positives. You like gold. You like Russian gas producers. And you still do you still like China property companies, even with all that's happening with property in China at the moment? Well, if one wants to play it reasonably safe, you can look at real estate investments trust rather than developers. Okay, just the, the staff or the, or the companies that own physical property. And you can start with Hong Kong companies if one doesn't trust China or the Chinese number so much. Yeah. But again, you know, so, uh, that, that view doesn't uh, uh, remain unchanged. Some okay. of them are over 50% discount. Your single best investment idea of the moment? Gold and silver. Okay. And leave me with one further thought, uh, because we have the budget coming up, and I want to play a little bit uh, on that uh, in a few minutes. Uh, Are you relatively comfortable with um, management of the economy here in Hong Kong? (laughs) Ooh, stumped you. Well, it's, it's not. It's not easy to. Um, well, to, that's that's because it's half a political question, right? Okay. Economic management, and I just say the market prices, the equity market prices, do seem very reasonable. So I think there are a lot of equity market opportunities here right now. All right, Martin. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh, lots of other uh, ground to cover here in the next uh, thirteen minutes or so. Thank you for joining us, Martin Henneke, chief economist at the Henley Group, and more on the budget in a moment. Things in life are free, but you can give them to the birds and bees. I want money. Okay, we've got the budget coming up later this morning, 11 o'clock. The financial secretary, he is expected to unveil about 20 billion Hong Kong dollars worth of relief measures for the working class. That would be smaller than last year. Remember, last year we had $33 billion worth of goodies handed out. And the fiscal surplus is expected to be less, and there's likely to be increased social spending. The budget surplus for the financial year ending March 31st is likely to be around 10 to 12 billion. That's what I've gotten from talking to economists around. Earlier, Mike Weeks spoke with Marcellus Wong at the Hong Kong Taxation Institute about his expectations. We expect a, a surplus, small surplus of about $12 billion for, for this year. Uh, so much, much smaller than last year's, but it, it turns into from a deficit of 4.9. So it is still a good news. Okay, and will the financial secretary argue that most of that is now set to be swallowed up by the measures announced by CY Leung in his policy address to help Hong Kong's poorest? Um, no, with a much smaller budget, I think uh, Chan Chung will have less money to spend. Mm. Uh, but uh, it is still enough to to support uh, CY Leung's uh, uh, proposed measure of uh, low income subsidy, but we will expect less uh, one-off sweetness uh, uh, on, on other matters like the electricity bill subsidy and, and others. 
And so that's Marcellus Wong from the Hong Kong Taxation Institute. He says one of the challenges that the financial secretary will face is looking for new ways to raise revenue to try to you know balance out the increased social expenditure. Well, the time is now 19 minutes after 8 o'clock, and we move on to our next featured sub-segment. Operators of VIP junkets in Macau pocket about $13 billion in annual commissions, according to calculations by Bloomberg. The lucrative trade is beginning to attract the attention of the casino operators themselves, who believe that they have enough knowledge of wealthy mainland Chinese to provide the tours on their own. And so we're joined in our studios now for some discussion of this by Richard Huang, regional consumer and gaming analyst at CLSA Asia Pacific Markets. Richard, good morning. Hi, morning. Yeah, this is a, a lucrative area, but will they be successful in it? Will the casinos themselves be able to cultivate these relationships with VIPs in China? Well, I mean, the, the first thing to point out is that there's uh, important reason for the junkets to exist in the VIP gaming segment, mainly because they are the one who tap into, go deep into China and try to find these VIP players out, and then they fix all the logistics and then extend them all the credit. And, I mean, in a lot of cases, the casinos are not ready to provide those services because, I mean, they, they are not ready to upkeep like maybe thousands or ten thousands of uh, VIP hosts in China to try to source those players and then they also want to isolate the casino operations from the credit risk as well so that's the key reason why they let the junkets from doing that but then for selective players which they have learned sufficient knowledge with them and then they also have sufficient overseas bank balance or assets then maybe they would be ready to extend them credit, but I mean the the dominance of the junkets in the VIP segment is not going to change. A majority of the VIP business would still be uh, done via the junkets. How in the world would the uh, casino operators be able to go into China and seize assets or even uh, try to get their hands on uh, on debts that are owed? Yeah, abs- that's absolutely right. Uh, the casinos have no right in servicing overseas gambling debt, and hence that's why one of the prerequisites for the casinos to extend the player's credit would be that the player would have to own some overseas assets, either in Hong Kong or maybe in London, anywhere which the casino can seize as collateral in order for them to have the comfort to extend so that's credit. So that's a great point. That's how it works then, because they can only take, what, something like 20000 out of China into mm. Macau, right? Yep. Uh, and yet they go there and they instantly borrow millions. In some of these VIP rooms, you have to um, you have to promise to wager more than a million dollars to get in, or even, or even more than that, right? That's right. But then they do have assets abroad, and they can borrow against that. Exactly. And if, right. the, if the legal structures or the, you know, the, if there's... Um, fair play in those places, then the mm. casino operators feel comfortable. Which are the ones, which of the casino operators do you think are likely to go into this area more than others? Well, I mean, the U.S. operators would have, would be in a better position to try to tap into these, what we call the direct VIP business, which means you do not go through a junkets, you go to the VIP players directly. And the reason being that they already have casinos and a profile of VIP players in their Las Vegas casinos, say, for example, I mean, uh, Venetian in in Las Vegas, they already have maybe hundreds or even thousands of VIP players with them, so they can try to cross market the casino properties in different regions, and then they can bring those players down to Macau to play. So that's the starting point. But for the local operators like SJM Galaxy, they much prefer to do the VIP business through the junkets. When I when I read through the Win Macau um, earnings, uh, mm-hmm. it seemed like they said that they were making more money now, not off the VIP uh, gamblers, but off the uh, higher end. Um, lux- the you know the sort of higher end mid market players uh, is is that a lucrative area? 
that's the area that everyone is going after right now because first, it's a cash business, no credit extended at all. Mm. And second is that there's no minimum because, I mean, as you have pointed out earlier on, I mean, a big part of the economics have to be handed to the junkets because they're the one who absorb the credit risk and then they're the one to try to source the players as well. So, I mean, if you generate $100 of gaming revenue, you, you, you might have to pay around 40 back to the junkets. But then if you do the high-end mass market segment, I mean, there's no commission at all. There's no credit. And the, the amount being wagered is not too low because it's, it's a high-end mass market business as well. So, I mean, that's, that's a segment that everyone is trying to go after right now. And if we could take a macro look at the, at the market generally, because these players have done very well. A lot of money in the Hong Kong stock market has gone to China Internet plays and to some degree environmental plays, mm-hmm. but a lot to these Macau gaming companies. City put out some numbers yesterday that looked pretty good. Are you closer to that or are you on the lower side? No, no, no. I mean, it's a very realistic estimate of what's going to happen in February because, I mean, the, the Macau gaming stocks tumbled in January because of the weak numbers. But then we urge investors not to worry because that's purely a, a seasonality factor with the shift in Chinese New Year. And then February came came back very, very strongly. And then it's likely going to be a record month as well. I mean, the Chinese players definitely it's not exiting Macau they're still going into Macau in crowds and then if you were to take a look at the news maybe a month ago I mean it's the first time in history where Macau have to impose crowd measures because just too many Chinese want to go to Macau to gamble and just briefly how many buys do you have on the players there everything wow it's a simple message just buy Macau wow okay Richard thank you very much for joining us here Uh, Richard Huang regional consumer and gaming analyst at CLSA From money laundering and uh, illicit gains and getting money out of the country, capital flight and all that, to something uh, a little more positive, corporate social responsibility. And we're joined by Philip Yu, General Manager of the Grand Hyatt here in Hong Kong. Philip, good morning. Good morning, Brian. Yeah, the Grand Hyatt has, I was really quite amazed in looking over the list of things that you have been doing. Um, and so it looks like a, a nice a nice company, a, a nice um, a profile, really, embracing corporate social responsibility in a big way. All these rigorous recycling programs, uh, not just glass bottles and plastic containers, but cooking oil and even um, food, right? Even uh, leftover food that has found its way to FoodLink. And you're supporting a lot of groups that we have supported through Operation Santa Claus. So it's a nice mix. Tell me what you like about what you're doing. Um, I think I think nowadays it's it's getting more and more important for um, a company like like I mean the uh, Grand Hyatt that we have been I mean in Hong Kong like for for a long time, uh, but today I would like to focus a little bit more on the on the human resources um, area that um, we are working on. Um, I'm sure that you you heard a lot about like um, it's very difficult for for our field to try to find the right people. Um, to work in hotel it's getting more and more um, um, you know challenging but I think one of the strategy now that what we are working on is we, we try to um, review our existing um, vacancies and try to make them available for those people that who are underprivileged um, what I mean underprivileged um, it could be um, just um, people that um, um, they not only uh, lost their job but they, they they don't go to school and and um, 
um, either like we have like people that they are physically challenged. We are trying to open up like some of these vacancies for, I mean, to hire these people and, and to fill in the workforce. And are you finding people, let's say, who are who have uh, visual impairment or hearing impairment uh, that you can find uh, good roles for them at the hotel? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, I, I could share an example with you that we have one of the bell attendant. Bell attendant are those people that will help, you know, on luggages and like a concierge. Exactly, uh, um, they are helping like opening doors, you know, of, of cars. And we have a, a very young um, teenager, and 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 he's suffering from like like autism. And but we we give him the opportunity, like try to put him back into a normal life and. And ask him, you know, to, to really deal directly with, with guests, and we have very, very good progress. How do you actually source people like this, or do you get lots of applications from uh, either the disabled or, or or people perhaps who've never worked in a hotel but are looking for work in that area? I think first thing first, you have to come up with, with your own strategy, and then and then you try to source like which what type of organization that um, they're having. Um, you know, uh, for example, like what I said, like student that they are. Um, suffering from autism and and people that they are really physically challenged, we approach this organization first, and we go to do a visit, and then we 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 present uh, you know uh, the vacancies that we have. Um, to a certain extent, we even have to convince you know the like their parents that uh, what kind of job that we are providing to them. Um, and we basically we source through organizations. It is interesting because I think one of the big stories in Hong Kong is the difficulty of finding talent no matter where you look. So this must be extraordinarily difficult. Yeah, I, I think that's the reason why I'm saying that now we have to change also like the mindset that we have that um, I, I think uh, it's not only social responsibility, but I think that we are, we are trying to nurture a culture of our company that you build a kind of engagement. I think one of our missions is, in fact, is to make a difference on people that we touch every day. And I think that we are, we are really doing that. What about some of these other aspects of, of corporate social responsibility in addition to hiring practice, which is very important? Uh, some of these recycling efforts that I mentioned, um, how far does that go? Uh, you know, what, what, what drives that in your view? Um, like I, I take an example like food donation. I, I think a lot of people that they, they talk about um, like like recycling like the leftover food and um, I think in the hotel sector we, we, we work together um, through the um, hotel association that um, we are going to commit to do more and more on recycling like leftover food. What I mean recycling is we really donate like safe to consume food to those that um, who, who I need. And interesting things too, like uh, donating mini bar fridges and hot water boilers to St. James Settlement. Uh, these are these are quite uh, quite interesting. Uh, and I look down the list, um, you know, supporting Hipong Society's Great Chefs event by offering them a low rental rate of the Grand Ballroom. And I must also um, mention that uh, you've been very supportive of Operation Santa Claus over the past four years. Is that likely to continue? Yes, definitely, definitely. <laughs> As I put a little pressure on you on live not radio. At all, not yeah, at all. No. Um, just, just overall, generally, I mean, I know you don't want to speak too much to uh, the hotel business, uh, but, um, you know, it must, you've got a, a case in Hong Kong where there's uh, almost over, over um, you're almost over capacity in, in a lot of places. Uh, the hotel business is thriving. Is that likely to continue? Um, yeah, we believe so. We, we believe so. And I, I think it's just a matter of, uh, it's, it's not only um, um, from, from mainland, but I think in general, internationally, we, we believe that, I think as long as Hong Kong can uphold our uh, international, um, like, MICE conference, 
exhibitions uh, center. I think I think um, definitely um, you know the business is going to 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 strive. Okay, all right. Yeah. Uh, thanks very much, Philip. Uh, appreciate it. Out of time, unfortunately, eight thirty. But that's uh, Philip Yu, general manager of the Grand Hyatt Hong Kong. Uh, markets uh, improving just a little bit. Australia up six points. Uh, the Nikkei has cut into some of its losses, now just down 79 points for the day. All right, let's take a look at the weather before we get to the news. Mainly cloudy with some low visibility, but sunshine expected. And the sun to continue for the next couple of days in these balmy temperatures up around 20, 21 degrees. This is Money for Nothing. The time is 831. Samantha Butler now with the latest news. Thick smog has blanketed Beijing for the past week and the World Health Organization is now calling it a crisis. It's urged people in the capital to stay indoors while the toxic mix of air pollution persists. Instruments have measured pollution levels above 450 on an air quality index, nine times the level considered safe for humans. Here's the WHO's representative in China, Bernhard Schwartlander. Of course, on days where pollution levels reach or even exceed the scale, we are very concerned and we have to see this as a crisis. A crisis means that we need to take immediate action to protect ourselves. So on these days, of course, we have to recommend that people don't go outside to have physical activities. They stay inside, keep children inside to the extent possible to protect them from the possible negative health effects that we have. The Philippines President Benito